they were cleansed three days later. Like, this guy still found Jesus in the same place, okay? So arguably, all of them happened within the hour. Every other miracle I can find there, it was instant. So that has become my target. Now, you look in Acts chapter 5, and what you find is that the disciples were all meeting together in Solomon's colonnade, and the people brought all the sick and demon-possessed to them, and every single one of them was healed. Yay! Jesus is, like, ascended into heaven now, and it's just the church ministering in his name, and here's all this stuff happening. They're having results. They're having crazy stuff happen. 100% results. Now, I've, I've been uh, doing healing ministry since 2009. I've been traveling since 2011. Since 2011, I've been in roughly 20 meetings where we've seen 100% results of every testable condition healed. Roughly half of those were in America. So you can't even blame it on the people overseas have more faith than you. <laughs> this is the same everywhere. Now, granted, that's 20 over the course of five years, so I know that's not every single one, and, you know. But I would say that most meetings we do, we see more than half healed. I, I felt like this morning was a little weak. <laughs> but we, uh, we only spent about 15 minutes doing this. A lot of these meetings will spend 45 minutes ministering healing. And as we persevere, as we keep going, we start to see more and more results. And sometimes it's almost like, like it just ramps up, like, you know, we're seeing a little bit here and there, and then things escalate. The reason I share that with you is not to make excuses for this morning, but to encourage you to keep going for this thing. Do not give up. What I used to do is we would minister to someone, and, and really it was we would beg God to do something in them. And if it didn't happen, and they had to have the surgery anyway, or whatever it was, or if they died of their cancer, or whatever, we would say, well, I guess that was God's will. We would pray once, nothing happened, looks like that's God's will. What I've learned is that's not the case. This is all about perseverance. This is about actually believing Jesus, that he gave this ministry to us and we're supposed to go out and do it. So I've decided I don't give up. I lay hands on folks, and if it doesn't happen the first time, I do it again. <laughs> now that can get awkward real quick. <laughs> I was in, uh, in the bush of Uganda, I'm in this little tiny church, and I had just preached to the people, God wants to heal, he wants, you to, wants to use you to do it, and, and I, I wanted to demonstrate to them how before I turned them loose to pray for each other. Now, this was the last day on my first trip in Uganda, and during that trip, up until this point, I had seen something like 15 people who were blind or partially blind healed. I lived there for half a month in the bush, and we're going to all these churches, and so 15 of them, and I'd seen something like... Oh, I want to say eight people uh, who were deaf or partially deaf healed. So at this point, I'm like, God's going to do this. This is a piece of cake, no problem. So I said, how many of you have eye problems? Three or four people raised their hand. I picked this lady at random from the front and said, come up here. I just want to show everyone how to do this. I said, what's your problem? She said, uh, well, my, I, I can't read. Um, I can see far, but I can't read. Okay, great. Put a Bible in front of her. Can you read that? Nope, can't read that. Put my hands on her eyes. Eyes open in Jesus' name. All right, have a look. Any change? She looked at it. No, no change. Okay. No, no harm done, no problem, because I've done this a million times. We've seen this happen. Try the first time. If it doesn't work, you try again, right? Eyes open in Jesus' name. How's that? Any change? 
No. Eyes open in Jesus' name. Any change? No. Now, I did this 15 minutes. I had no reason to change my words. I'm not looking for magic words here. I'm not trying to figure out how to twist God's arm or convince him. He's already convinced. What do you do? And one woman in the church, after 15 minutes, gets up and walks out of the church. And I'm like, oh, great. <laughs> this is not going the way it's supposed to. So I paused. I was like, I, I got I to gotta spare the, the, the exodus <laughs> right now. So I looked at everyone. I said, listen, did Jesus pay for this woman to be healed? They said, yes. Did he pay a very high price for this woman to be healed? Yes then does it matter if I stand up here looking like a fool in front of you while I'm seeking for Jesus to receive what he paid for? Some of them smiled. They were real quiet after I said that. Eyes open in Jesus' name. Any change? No. <laughs> what do you do? You know, it's, it's complicated when that stuff happens. And then I, I had this other thought. What are, what are these people thinking? You know, what, you start... because. You know what's going on in their mind is probably what's going on in your mind. This is crazy. This isn't going to work. <laughs> I missed it on this one. And you start arguing with yourself and letting the enemy tell you that you don't have enough faith and you can't do it and all this stuff. Listen, I don't do this thing because I'm qualified. <laughs> I do this thing because he's qualified and he just likes to use me. Okay? So, five more minutes goes by. All of a sudden, the woman can read the big print, the headings at the top of the Bible. And I'm like, sweet victory, something's happening. <laughs> All right. So I'm like, at this point, I'm, I just feel like this is my opportunity to get off the hook a little bit. So I just looked at everyone. I said, all right, look, it's starting to work. I'm going to continue ministering to her until it's complete. But since it's starting to work, you now see how to do this. If you're sick, come up here to the front. Ten people came up to the front. I said, the rest of you, you're the ministry team. Come around them, lay hands on them. Do what I've been doing for the last 20 minutes. And I went back to this woman. They're all doing their thing. And I put my hands on her eyes. I said, eyes open in Jesus' name. And she smiled and started reading all of it. I was like, couldn't you do that 20 minutes ago? <laughs> you know? Yeah. And then she's about to go back and sit down in her seat. And I said, whoa, where are you going? to sit down. No, 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 no. You go find someone. You pray for them. Oh, okay. So she goes and finds the one person that nobody had come up to yet, and it was this old man who was completely blind. And guess who the first person in the line was who was healed? Yeah, him. And then every single one of those people was healed, and I only prayed for the one woman, so it wasn't my fault. Yeah. That's the kind of tenacity you have to have. You have to push through. Don't give up. Don't say it hasn't happened. Ergo, it's God's will. Because God's will was proven through Jesus. See, I, I didn't twist God's arm. See, one of, my, one of my biggest fears when I first got into this healing ministry thing, I didn't want to speak with authority. I didn't want to, you know, say anything absolutely like God wants to heal because I didn't want to manipulate God. One day the Holy Spirit said, you think you can manipulate me? Who do you think you are? <laughs> See, if you're afraid of manipulating God, I have news for you. Your God is too small. <laughs> you can't manipulate him. He's God. You're not. You're not even close to that. You can't manipulate him. 
So just throw that fear out the window. The Holy Spirit said to me, maybe if you minister healing with authority and you speak like do this or this will be done, maybe if I heal them, it's not because you twisted my arm. Maybe it's because you finally started doing what I wanted you to do all along and I finally partnered with you in it. <laughs> so I learned this authority thing is very important that I need to speak to the condition and tell it. Listen, I'm not commanding God anything. I'm not saying God heal them. I'm saying sickness leave. I'm commanding sickness. I'm commanding body parts. I'm not commanding God. I'm obeying God. See the difference? This is not a pride thing. This is not a, you know, I'm better than, I'm not better than him. I'm fully relying on him, and it's not going to work if he doesn't come through. See? So, that's the authority side of things. Authority can work long distance. Authority can, you know, this, when, you, when you stand up and say, I know who I am, I know who Jesus is, I know he sent me and he's partnered with me and his spirit lives in me, this is going to happen. He gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases, Luke 9.1. So here's what happens. Many Christians today have authority and operate in healing ministry without power. And they get a lot done. Interesting, isn't it? Because these are two different tools. When you had the, uh, the, the, the woman with the issue of blood, which we talked about a few minutes ago, she touches the hem of Jesus' garment. Jesus goes, whoa, 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 somebody touched me. Peter goes, Jesus, everybody's touching you. You're in a crowd. He's like, no, no, I felt power go out from me. And that's when he finds the woman with the issue of blood. When she touched the hem of his garment, power went out from him. Power is, 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 is a totally different, like he didn't, Jesus didn't speak one word of authority. He didn't say be healed. He didn't say get up and walk. He didn't say anything. He, just power went out from him. Now there was this centurion whose servant was sick, and depending on which gospel you read, either the centurion came or he sent word. But long story short, word comes to Jesus. Here's the centurion. My servant's sick, and uh, I'm a man under authority. I've got people under me. Whatever I say, they do it. And I know you're a man under authority, and whatever you say, it'll be done. I'm not worthy to have you set foot in my house. Just say the word, and my servant will be made well. Jesus marvels at his faith, says the word, whatever that word was, whatever the authority was, and that servant was healed immediately. Authority happens through a spoken command. I, I, had a, I was in Knoxville, Tennessee about a year, year and a half ago, something like that. And um, there was this woman at the meeting who came up to me with a photograph of this little boy. She said, this is my, friend, uh, my friend's son from Norway or Switzerland or somewhere over there. Yeah, I don't remember. Yeah. And uh, she said, he's got autism. Would you pray for him? <coughs> now, I've learned I don't pray for the sick. I don't ask God to do what he told me to do. So I said, I just said yes. I didn't pick the semantics game apart with her. I just said, yeah, no problem. So I took this little picture in my hand, and I said, I don't know, Timmy, well, uh, it was Sven, <laughs> whatever his name was, I don't know. I said, you be healed in Jesus' name. All right, here you go. Simple. No need for me to make some big fancy thing to impress anybody. I don't have to impress anybody. That's not what it's about. I can impress you or you can be healed. <laughs> Take your pick. I have people say, that's it? I go, you want a fancy prayer or do you want to be healed? Let me know. So I, I, uh, I just, whatever happens, we'll see what goes on. A couple days later, I get this email from this lady. 
She said, check out what my friend sent me. I, I sent her an email as soon as I got home from the meeting and said, hey, I had Art Thomas lay hands on your, a, a picture of Sven, whatever his name was, and, uh, and, and, and just curious if anything happened. Well, the woman writes back and says, this is unbelievable. Crazy. She goes, this morning, my husband and I were commenting, I can't believe how much more eye contact he's giving us and how social and verbal he's being. I've never seen him like this, and it, it's like it happened overnight. What happened? And then she goes to her computer and sees this email. Now, he wasn't 100% healed of autism, like, like totally out of the woods, but this tremendous transformation happened, and it, the reason I share that story is he was on the other side of the world and a word of authority got the job done. You see? So I want you to know there is no boundary that authority can't handle, can't cross. You just, you can minister to people all the way on the other side of the world with that. Okay? So whenever people come to me and they're like, well, so-and-so, my husband's not here and he's got all these problems, you know, uh, can you pray for him? I'm like, well, yeah. Like, we just speak a word of authority. That's your tool. You've got it. Now, I've spent way too much time on that for all the stuff I want to share with you tonight. But I want to really, my focus tonight is on the power side. I've met people who walk in the power of God, but not the authority of God. And I've met people who walk in the authority of God, but not the power of God. But Jesus walked in both. And if we're going to be Christ-like, we need both. Luke chapter 6, one of these crazy scriptures, I think it's verse 18, it says that, that the people were all trying to touch Jesus because power was coming from him and healing them all. Crazy. Power was coming from him and healing them all. I want that, man. I want to live that way. So here we go. Is it all right if I go into teacher mode for you a little bit here? I'm just going to hit a lot of scriptures. I'm going to explain some stuff, and, uh, and we'll get out of here about 2 in the morning. It'll be good. All right, just so you know, I'm driving back to Michigan three and a half hours tonight, so you can trust. I'll, I'll, I'll make sure I'm out of here in time. <laughs> All right. Thank you, Jesus. Let me start here. Your authority comes from the fact that you're seated with Christ in the heavenly realms, but we also need power, and this comes from the abiding presence of the Holy Spirit upon you. Now, I'll, I'll explain that a little more in a bit. Let me start here. Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. You know this scripture? Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now that statement there, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, that's an important one to remember. Because remember when I said this morning, Matthew 10, 8, Jesus commanded his disciples, heal the sick. I had a guy say to me, well, you know, Jesus was commanding the 12 there. He wasn't commanding us. That's not a command to me. That's a command to the 12. I said, there's a problem there. It's called Matthew 28. And that's when he said to the 12, Teach every new disciple to obey everything I've commanded you. So if it was a command to the 12, it's a command to you. That's good news for us because if he commands you to do something, it's because he wants you to do it. Is that easy? 
<laughs> I don't know. Just simple logic. Just think those ways, you know? Now, he said to go and make disciples of all nations, right? But check this out. In Luke 24, 49, this is also after he had died and risen again, before he ascended into heaven. This is what he said. I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. Wow. So first he gives them all authority. He says, I've got all authority and therefore go in my name. You're going to represent me and you're going to do everything I've been doing. Okay? And then he says, but hold on. Before you go, before you go into all the world and make disciples, I want you to stay right here until you're clothed with power from on high. Interesting. Apparently, Jesus considered the power to be so important that he, he even trumped the Great Commission by saying, wait here, don't go anywhere, don't do anything until you've got this power. Now, can you make disciples without power from God? Absolutely. There's a whole lot of Christians who are doing it. But it, what's interesting is throughout history of the world, creatures reproduce after their own kind. And so if Jesus wants to multiply empowered disciples... You need to be an empowered disciple. Empowered disciples reproduce empowered disciples. Fair? And that's what Jesus wanted to institute in the earth. Not a bunch of powerless people, but a bunch of empowered people who could do the same things he was doing in his name. So that's why he said this is very important. Before you go making disciples, you need power. Now, I'm going to ask a trick question, so don't go answering out loud because I don't like doing that to people. <laughs> I'm warning you up front. But try to answer this in your head. When did the disciples receive the Holy Spirit? When did the disciples receive the Holy Spirit? Now, there's, this is a trick question because most of us, especially in the Pentecostal church, our mind goes to Acts chapter 2. That's when God poured out his spirit on the disciples and, and, and they, you know, they, they speak in other tongues and there's the fire and the wind and we can talk about that in a minute. But, but we look there as the moment where they received the gift that was promised. Jesus, I mean, just before he ascends into heaven in Acts chapter 1, he says, uh, uh, you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. He said, listen, John baptized you with water, but in a few days you're going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Right? So he's talking about the day of Pentecost. The day of Pentecost comes, spirits poured out. And so many of us, that's where we think the disciples received the Holy Spirit. But check this out. In John chapter 20, verse 21 to 22, the, Jesus had just died and risen again. Word had come to the disciples through, I think, Mary, that, that, that Jesus was alive, but they hadn't seen him yet. And they're still all hiding in this room, this locked room, for fear that the same people who just killed Jesus are going to come and kill them. And while they're hiding there in this secret room and, and closed doors, terrified for their lives, Jesus appears in the room and says, peace be with you. <laughs> That's totally how I would have done it. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't think it, I don't know that he did it that way, but if he's anything like me, like, surprise, yeah. But he, what's funny is right after that, it says, again, Jesus said, peace be with you. It's like the first one really didn't work, you know. <laughs> Can only imagine what was going through their minds. Well, what it says in John 20 
is that he said, as the Father sent me, I send you. Then he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. (laughs) Now the Greek word for spirit is pneuma, which is the word we get pneumonia from. It also translated breath. So it's as if Jesus said, receive the holy breath. You see? I got to believe that was not a metaphor or a symbol or like him talking about Pentecost later. I got to believe something just happened. Risen, glorified Jesus breathes on you and says, receive the holy breath. Dude, something just took place. So now many, many Pentecostal theologians at least will tell you this was very likely the first moment when the Holy Spirit came to dwell within the disciples. And they were born again, made into new creations, just as we talked about this morning. Brand new people. Okay? See, what the Spirit does within you is for your sake. But what he does upon you is for the world's sake. (laughs) So he breathes on them, says, receive the Holy Spirit. They become new creations. The Spirit of God comes to dwell within them. From that moment forward, if they had died before the day of Pentecost, they'd have been saved. All right? They were new creations, transformed. They were different. They were the church. All right? But now he, he spends 40 days with them. From, from that point forward, all, the, all this time he spends with them and then ascends into heaven. And just before he ascends into heaven, he says, okay, guys, wait here until you're clothed with power from on high. You will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Yeah. See, they already had him in them. Now he was going to come upon them. Same Holy Spirit. Two different workings, okay? Two different events. So let me, let me just briefly hit the spirit within, okay? I mean, John 14, 16 to 18 is where Jesus says, he, you know, I'm going to send you the gift my, or the, the Holy Spirit. And he's, right now he's with you, but then he will be in you, right? So he's talking about the spirit dwelling within us. Ephesians 1, 13 to 14 talks about how, how God placed his promised Holy Spirit in us as a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Romans 8, 9 says, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. See, this is one of these hang-up verses that has caused strife between Pentecostals and non-Pentecostals for years because all the non-Pentecostals are going, what, are you telling me I'm not saved because I don't have the Holy Spirit? Because Romans says, if I don't have the Spirit of Christ, I don't belong to Christ. So you're telling me I'm not saved because I don't speak in tongues or something? No, that's not what we're saying. You've got the Spirit of God dwelling within you. Praise God, you're saved. You're born again. You're a new creation. I'm talking about the Spirit, what he does upon you, clothing you with power. You see it? There's a difference here. 2 Corinthians 1, 21 to 22 uh, is another one, 1 John 2, 27. Just if you're taking notes, I'm tossing you references. Now, 1 John 2, 27 is an interesting one. It says, as for you, the anointing you received from him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. So his job is to remain in you, and he's really good at it. Your job is to remain in him. Okay? 
Now, I just want to hit a couple things there that, that might have confused some of you. He said you don't need anyone to teach you. Now, what's really interesting, though, is that the Bible says in the New Testament that God has given some, Jesus has given some in the church to be teachers. So if I don't need anyone to teach me, why did he give me teachers? I would argue that the teacher's role is to awaken your heart and mind to the work of the Holy Spirit so you can learn from him. Okay? To teach you sound doctrine so that when you're hearing something in your heart, you know whether or not this lines up with the scriptures. Okay? So there's a value in teachers, but the teacher's job is not to take the place of the Holy Spirit. The teacher's job is to teach you into an encounter with the Holy Spirit. Good news, huh? <coughs> Excuse me. Still recovering from jet lag in China and all that. All right. Spirit upon. Throughout the Old Testament, God's Spirit came upon people. He came upon Moses to lead Israel. And then when things got a little hairy there and it's getting really too much for Moses to handle, God tells Moses, just bring the 70 elders of Israel together and I'm going to take the same spirit that I've put on you and put it upon them. And so the elders are there, Moses is there, God takes his spirit that's on Moses, places that, his spirit on, on the 70, oh thank you so much, 70 elders, and as soon as this happens, they begin to prophesy. Crazy. They start prophesying. God put his spirit on different, on Joshua after Moses was gone, Joshua leads the people. God puts his spirit on Joshua to lead the people. Then after Joshua, you've got judges, different judges. God puts his spirit on the judges. He put his, the spirit of the Lord came upon Othniel and he led the people into battle. The spirit of the Lord came upon Samson and he ripped a lion in half. How's that for a gift of the spirit? Lion ripping. Yeah, that's good stuff right there. I want that one. <laughs> you know, it's, it, the Spirit of God came upon prophets and priests and kings and came upon David and he danced before the Lord. There's all this stuff where the Spirit of God would come upon people. But what you notice when you go throughout all that stuff, whenever the Spirit of God came upon someone, it was to accomplish a task in the natural realm. Whether that task was success in battle or prophesying, the most common result of the Spirit coming upon someone in the Old Testament was they would prophesy, which simply means that God would speak through them. Pretty cool, huh? So when, when Jesus starts saying the Spirit of God's going to come upon you, they know exactly what he's talking about. There was this one prophet named Joel, and in Joel chapter 228, Joel prophesies, where God says through Joel, in the last days I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days. This is all about uh, prophecy and, and inspired speech and God speaking through his people and so even in the Old Testament, when God's Spirit came upon someone, what's interesting is then you would see him leave. Once the task was complete, the Spirit would lift off. Samson didn't even notice when the Spirit of God left him because he was so lost in his sin and everything. King Saul, the Spirit left him. <laughs> Just when the task was done, the Spirit lifted. But what's interesting is you see here in, in John chapter 1, 
Jesus is being baptized by John the Baptist. And John the Baptist says this. Then John gave this testimony. I saw the Spirit come down from heaven as a dove and remain on him. And I myself did not know him, but the one who sent me to baptize with water told me, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. See, the baptism in the Holy Spirit is, is, is not just this little task where the Spirit comes on you for, for a moment and then lifts. The baptism in the Holy Spirit is what happens when a, a person who the Spirit lives within them, the Spirit then overflows and comes upon them. And I like to say it's as if he sticks to himself. <laughs> if he's in you abiding and comes upon you, he'll abide there too. He's not going to leave. Good news, right? Okay. Now here's where it starts to get fun. Joel's prophecy, which I just told you about, gets a little crazy. Now the, the one thing I really want to point out is where it says, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. If I were to pour out water from this bottle... This is not a trick question. This is just too easy. It seems like a trick question. If I pour out water from this bottle, what did the water pour out of? The bottle. You all are great at this. Good job. All right. If, God, if God's spirit was within the disciples, according to John 20, and then in Acts 2, God poured out his spirit, where did the spirit pour out of? <laughs> I know that sounds a little crazy because most of us want to think, well, he poured out of heaven, but we're, this, this is what happens. We get so caught up in God pouring out of somewhere else, we think he's not already here. But what did Jesus say about the Holy Spirit? John 7, 37 to 39, on the last and greatest day of the festival, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let everyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture has said, Rivers of living water will flow from within them. By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time the Spirit had not been given, since Jesus had not yet been glorified. <laughs> and Jesus wasn't glorified fully until after 40 days of hanging out with his disciples. So it wasn't the John 21 when he gave the Spirit, it was the Acts 2 when the Spirit was poured out. And what did he say? The rivers of living water will flow from within you. <laughs> so when God poured out his spirit on the day of Pentecost, he didn't pour out of heaven. He poured out of the disciples. And the only reason that's important to me is because it helps us to get our mind off of some crazy idea that God is way far away and we need him to show up. And onto the reality that he's right here dwelling within us. I was in Uganda, there was this, uh, you know, the, the pastor I was living with, we're living in the bush, and we, we go out to this, just, I mean, it was the side of a road and a swamp, and I'm like, what is this, really tall grass, you can't see, can't see above it, really tall grass, and he just stops his motorcycle there, and he says, okay, we foot, <laughs> I'm like, we, we foot, we foot where, why can't we ride, you know, and he, he just puts down his kickstand and just takes off into the swamp. I'm like, what is happening? <laughs> right? 
he's balanced, there's these boards balanced across like rocks and things and like jumping from rock to rock and balancing on these boards and I'm like, this is crazy. We go for maybe eight or ten minutes and we come through the grass clears and there's this village there, right? The village of, uh, what, which one was this? I want to say this was uh, Isaguero. I don't think that's right though. Uh, I don't remember. It doesn't matter to you. It matters to me. I like to be accurate. Anyhow, we, we, we come out of, yeah, it was Isaguero, I'm pretty sure. We come out of this, uh, to this village, there's this mud, mud and grass church with this grass roof, and it, it, the, you can hear the people and the drums inside, they're all excited, right? And we go in, and this is Sunday morning. Now, the pastor of this church had been in a few other meetings I had done in other places, and he was all excited because the man from America was going to come and deliver a sermon in my church on Sunday morning, right? Yeah, well, the Holy Spirit told me that morning, I don't want you to preach. <laughs> I'm like, oh, great. This is not what I was planning on. So I get in there uh, in, in, in this little village, and all I said was what the Holy Spirit told me to say, and it was this. When my wife was pregnant with our son, we would say things like, when the baby comes, we're going to go here or go there. When the baby comes, we'll do this or we'll do that. When the baby comes... But the whole time, the baby was right there in my wife's belly. We said when the baby comes, but the baby was already there with us. Right? So I said, when we invite the Holy Spirit to come, <laughs> we don't really mean come from somewhere else. When we said when the baby comes, we didn't mean that the baby's going to get delivered from somewhere else. We meant that when this baby who's already with us is made known and we can interact with him, then we'll do this or that. When we say, come Holy Spirit, what we're really saying is, Lord, we want you to make yourself known among us. We recognize you're here. Would you reveal yourself? And so I said, we're going to invite the Holy Spirit to come, not from somewhere else, but to just make himself known right here. And then I just prayed, Holy Spirit, would you come? And I waited. Now, five minutes goes by and nothing's happening. And I'm an American. I like microwave popcorn. Give it to me quick, man. This is taking too long. What do we do? <sighs> right? And all of a sudden, this, I, I hear someone weeping off on the side there. And I kind of like open one eye to look around like, is anything going on? I see these two women who are just bent over crying. You know, I see, I see a, a, someone off in the corner who's laughing. I see uh, somebody says something, and my translator says, that man just said he was healed. Someone else says they are healed. Finally, I mean, just pandemonium breaks out. All this stuff's going on. Something's happening to everybody, and it's different for everybody. And I'm like, this is crazy. Finally, I just said, as soon as you're healed, I want you to come up here to the front. People start filling up the front. I mean, this is a little tiny church, but there was probably 50 people crammed in there, and about 20 now are lined up in the front. I'm like, this is insane. What is going on, God? This is crazy. Finally, I said, how many of you out there, you're still not healed yet? About five hands went up. I looked at this little group of kids. I said, you go find these people whose hands are up, and when you get to them, put your hand on them, say, be healed in Jesus' name, and then go to somebody else, and you keep doing it until all of them are up here healed. And those little kids ran out there, and they did it. Every single person was healed. Yeah. Some people repented of sin. Some people, 
I mean, there was just, some people were forgiving people. The kids got to this one woman and she screamed as a demon came out of her and she falls to the ground and all the kids run out of the church. <laughs> we had to bring them all back in. No, that's a good thing. You did it right. You did it right. <laughs> it was crazy. Absolutely crazy. But you see, it's all about the Spirit of God already being here. <laughs> so when we're looking to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, when we want him to come upon us with power, we don't need him to, to open up the heavens and come from somewhere else. That's already settled. What you need is for him to overflow from you. <laughs> if I took this lid off and shook this around a little bit, the water that's inside would pour over to the outside, and it would be wet both inside and outside. Okay? <laughs> that's what we're going for. Hmm. Yeah, I'll share with you some, some fun stuff. Here we go. You want just a little bonus material? This, I did this three-month study, September, October, November, specifically on the day of Pentecost. And that, that hole, I'm still trying to find the bottom of it. I'm still digging. It's like just crazy. And, and some of the stuff that I found in here, I mean, I've got notes upon notes, and I, there's no time to go into it all I'll probably make a book or something one day, but just to share with you this little tidbit, Acts 2, of course, the day of Pentecost, verses 1 through 4, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a, they heard a sound like the blowing of a violent wind that came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now what happens right after that is all these folks for, who are at the festival for, for the, the Passover feast, or the, the, sorry, the Pentecost feast, they, they hear all this commotion. They show up at the house where all these believers are and they hear the wonders of God being proclaimed in their own languages. They say, these guys are Galileans. How do they know our language? Peter gets up in front of all of them and the rest of the 12 stand up with him and Peter says, listen, these guys aren't drunk like you think. <laughs> it's only nine in the morning. Now I come from a college town. I don't know why that's proof. Anyhow, he says, he says, this is what was promised through the prophet Joel. In the last days, says the Lord, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. Now, Peter goes on from there and preaches this sermon. I mean, this is just awesome stuff. Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. Acts 2, 14-21. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These people are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No. This is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. He then quotes Joel just as I did. But Joel's prophecy doesn't end with what I just shared. It says this, I'll pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. And here's the rest of it. I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, let me back up this train a little bit. This is where it gets crazy for me. Jews today, when they celebrate the Feast of Pentecost, 
one of the things they celebrate is the giving of the law on Mount Sinai. When Moses received the law, this is what happens when you read the story. Crazy. The people awake in the morning to a sound like a trumpet blast. And the sound doesn't stop. It just keeps getting louder and louder and louder. They come out of their tents and they're looking around and here's the mountain that they're camped by is engulfed in flames and smoke. And Moses is walking toward the mountain. What are you thinking, Moses? <laughs> the people follow Moses as, long as, they're, as far as they're allowed to go. And when they get to the base of the mountain, God speaks from the mountain. Moses shouts back. God speaks back. He invites Moses to come up the mountain. And Moses spends 40 days up there with no food or water in the presence of God and receives the, the, the law from the Lord. And he's got the Ten Commandments and all that stuff, right? What's fascinating, you know, the people down in the valley, they, they, they get tired of waiting and they build the golden calf and everything and start worshiping this idol because... God's abandoned us, you know, I don't know how that works. How do these people, you know, it's crazy. But they've got this golden calf and all this stuff, and they're worshiping that. And when Moses comes down, he's, you know, throws the tablets down. He's all upset. And uh, long story short, there's this plague that wipes out like 3,000 people. Now, let's go up to the day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2. A sound from heaven. Fire is seen. Now remember, when they, in the giving of the law in Sinai, when they saw the fire on the mountain, God spoke from the mountain. But on the day of Pentecost, the fire came and rested on them. So they knew God's going to speak from where? From me. And they opened their mouth to prophesy, expecting this is what it is. The, the Spirit of God came on us. It's, it's time. And what comes out is a language they don't even know. And what results from this sermon that Peter gets up and does is 3,000 people are added to the church. <laughs> See, the Feast of Pentecost was a feast celebrating the first fruits of the wheat harvest. Now, this is pretty crazy to me because whenever Jesus talked about the harvest, the wheat harvest in particular, he wasn't talking about grain, he was talking about souls. Lift up your eyes to the fields. The harvest is plentiful. The workers are few. Pray to the Lord of the harvest to send out workers. The fields are white for harvest. It's time. So on a day celebrating the harvest, God pours out his spirit to empower them for a, a spiritual harvest. <laughs> he gives these signs that hearken back to the giving of the law the law kills, the spirit gives life. 3,000 people died, 3,000 people are saved. The same signs happen. This is crazy. Absolutely crazy. <laughs> also in the Old Testament, you've got the Tower of Babel, right? You ever heard that story? It's after the Noah's flood and everything and the world's starting to get repopulated. Everybody speaks the same language. But people are drifting back into sin and everything. And they start building this tower saying, we're going to reach up to the heavens. You know, we're going to you know, be numbered among the gods, basically, is, is what that means. You know, we're, we, we can do anything. And God looks at this and says, you know, if we let them continue like they are, 
Nothing will be impossible for them. That's how, that's how God said it. Nothing will be impossible for them. So what does he do? He confuses their languages so that they just kind of have to disband and they can't work together anymore. And now we have all these different languages in the earth. So on this day of Pentecost, it's a sort of reverse babble where people start speaking languages they don't know and others understand the gospel message and the wonders of God. And I believe that is God reinstituting in the earth a people for whom nothing would be impossible. <laughs> With God, nothing's impossible. And this stuff just thrills me. I don't know if it does anything for you, but if it doesn't, sorry, you're sitting here. <laughs> just enjoy. But remember Joel's prophecy where it says the sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord, Right? There's this guy named Fred Larson, and he's got this uh, uh, movie that he made called uh, The Star of Bethlehem. Anyone ever seen that? Yeah. Crazy. I watch that every year with my family. It just blows my mind. This guy, he, just, he was a lawyer, and he got fascinated with the whole Star of Bethlehem thing and, and really got into it. It kind of became a hobby for him, searching for what was this star thing. And he goes back and does all this research using software that uses uh, Kepler's equations for the movement of the stars and the, the planets and all that, and traces all the way back to find, oh my goodness, this was it. This star is doing everything that the Bible said, and it's actually Jupiter and how it's moving around and the symbolism. It's crazy. And, and it was just like blowing his mind how it all panned out. Well, one of the things he does in this... Uh, in this thing, using the same software and showing all that, is uh, he looks at the day of the cross. And on the day of the cross, as Jesus dies, at that very moment, below the horizon where nobody in Jerusalem could see, but at the very moment when Jesus died, the, the moon went into a total lunar eclipse so that when it rose from the horizon, it was a blood moon. So all these people had just witnessed it. Remember, the sun will be turned to darkness. Check this out. This is also something Fred Larson wrote. He said, the Gospels do recount that the sun was darkened on the day of the crucifixion from noon until three in the afternoon. Ancient non-biblical sources confirm this. Phlegon uh, Trelanius, I don't know, I'm, uh, tre Trelanus, uh, Trelianus, okay, recorded in his history Olympiads, quote, in the fourth year of the 202nd Olympiad, which is A.D. 20, or, uh, 32 to 33, in, in the fourth year of the 202nd Olympiad, a failure of the sun took place greater than any previously known, and night came on at the sixth hour of the day, which is noon, so that the stars actually appeared in the sky. What? That's crazy. And a great earthquake took place in Bithynia and overthrew the greater part of Nicaea. Trellianus, the Olympiads. I don't know what that was. That's no lunar eclipse. There are no, no solar eclipse. Like, solar eclipses don't last for three hours. It's not like it was just, it became overcast and the storm clouds moved in, because that doesn't make stars appear. I had one guy, I was in Texas, and this guy came up to me after the service, and he goes, you know, there's actually scientifically a mechanism in the sun that would make that possible, and that's sunspots. 
Could it be that maybe a sunspot overtook the entire sun for these three hours? Maybe. I don't know. Fascinating how that works. You know what's really fascinating to me, if that's the case? Do you know how long it takes for light to get from the sun to here? (laughs) And that means that God did this knowing his son was about to expire on the cross. He did it before it happened so that at the exact moment, darkness would cover the earth. That's crazy. (laughs) Man, the earthquake that the Bible talks about. This is this is like confirmed in secular history. So when Peter, when Peter gets up on the day of Pentecost and he says, blood, fire, billows of smoke, the sun will be turned to darkness, the moon to blood, before the great and coming terrible day of the Lord, everybody's like, yeah, we saw that. <laughs> and he goes, and everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Okay, what must we do to be saved? And he preaches to them. This is just so cool to me how this all pans out. Like I said, that's just bonus material. That has nothing to do with what we're talking about really tonight. But I want you to know this Bible thing's real. (laughs) This isn't just a bunch of stories. This is history. This is reality. Jesus. All right. Yep, we hit all that. Okay. Why did they speak in tongues on the day of Pentecost? I have some opinions. I have some guesses. Now, I mentioned the whole Tower of Babel connection and how I believe there's a connection there. Uh, there's a, a whole book I read that kind of makes the case for tongues being a sign that, that this, of, of that impending judgment from God, and, and it's crazy how, the, how the, all that could play out. I'm not really going to go into that today, but what I would focus on is this. On the day of Pentecost, this was the first time that this gospel was available for all nations. And every time I speak in tongues, I'm reminded I carry a gospel for all nations. And if I can learn to partner with the Holy Spirit to speak through my mouth in a language I don't even know, how much more can I trust him to speak through my mouth in a language I do know? (laughs) You see, this was all about empowerment for the harvest, right? You see it? It was about inspired speech that we would prophesy, that every one of us would prophesy. This is for all of you. Now there are, goodness, several times when the Spirit then is poured out upon people in the book of Acts. It's pretty cool. You know, you got the Samaritan outpouring in Acts 8, 14 to 17. Um, You know, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. When they arrived, they prayed for the new believers there that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. See, they were believers. The Spirit of God was living in them, but he had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 10, Peter's preaching in Cornelius' house. When, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They've received the Holy Spirit just as we have. So here's a case of the Spirit of God coming upon someone before they're baptized in water. So obviously there's not a prerequisite there. 
And what's interesting is the very next one, this is Acts chapter 19, you see the opposite happen. People who'd been baptized in water first, who had not yet been baptized in the Holy Spirit. So there is no special order you're supposed to do this in. Just any which way you can. Get, get the job done, right? <laughs> now, okay, we're going to be able to wrap this up now. We're, we're, we're in the home stretch. I, in this study, I discovered something that I had never seen before. Even though I was born and raised in a church that believes in the Holy Spirit and the power of the Holy Spirit, I discovered something brand new that I've never heard anyone preach I've, uh, you know, our general superintendent, George Wood, he, he's, he's written a book uh, that hinted at this, and it made me question things. And, and actually, I got to interview him for a film we're doing about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and he said, there is one baptism, but many fillings. And when he said that, I was like, I don't, I don't know, I don't know, George. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know, Brother Wood. I'm not sold yet. So I went and searched the scriptures. I did what the Bereans did. Let's search the scriptures, find out if what he said is true. And guess what? He was right. You know, in Acts chapter 2, Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 4, Peter gets filled with the Spirit twice. (laughs) So people are filled over and over. And so I realized there was something different between this, this baptism in the Holy Spirit, where the Spirit remains and abides with you, and this filling that happens again and again. Right now, this bottle is not full, but let's say it's full. And now I want you to imagine that somehow this bottle grows. What needs to happen for it to be full? (laughs) Is it full anymore if it grows? No, the water's the same. It needs needs another filling. See, we're constantly growing. (laughs) And we need to be constantly being filled. This is not something that we just chill and relax on and, and just, you know, well, I got baptized in the Holy Spirit 20 years ago, and, and so I got everything I need. No, you need to be filled. You need to be filled. The Spirit comes within us at salvation for your sake. The Spirit comes upon us at the baptism in the Holy Spirit, and this is for the world's sake, power for the mission. But he fills us. This can happen many times, but is ideally a constant overflow, granting you boldness, courage, and spiritual insight as you are propelled forward in obedience to the Lord. The the evidence of the Spirit within you is the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The evidence of the Spirit upon you, the initial evidence, we got tongues and everything, but the, the real lifelong evidence is a life of power. Okay? And the evidence of being filled with the Spirit is boldness. And you see it over and over throughout the book of Acts. As, as, as Stephen's about to be stoned, he's filled with the Holy Spirit and sees the Son of God standing at the right hand of the Father. Peter is filled with the Spirit and gets up and proclaims in a loud voice. I'm just, just filled with the Spirit, filled with the Spirit. You see it over and over and over again. And what's interesting is you even see it before Acts 2. John the Baptist's father, Zechariah, was filled with the Spirit. Elizabeth was filled with the Spirit. And in each case, they prophesy. One of the words that comes to John's father, Zechariah, is that John, when he's born, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from birth. And what does John do? He's a voice of one crying in the wilderness. And he has this ministry of bold proclamation. 
paving the way for Jesus. See it? Being filled with the Holy Spirit is about boldness and action. So, places where people are filled with the Spirit, I've just listed a whole bunch of them, but let let me just read to you something I wrote here as I was processing all this. Why the baptism in the Holy Spirit? The Spirit came upon unsaved people in the Old Testament. Even Saul, on his way to murder David, gets in the company of a bunch of prophets, and when the Spirit that's on the prophets comes upon him, King Saul starts to prophesy. He's on his way to murder somebody, and he starts prophesying. (laughs) And people start questioning, is Saul among the prophets? Like, obviously, you don't even have to be saved to prophesy and have the Spirit come upon you. So that means anyone can be empowered by the Holy Spirit for a specific task. In similar fashion, even people who were not baptized in the Holy Spirit were said to be filled with the Spirit. Like I mentioned, Zechariah, Elizabeth, John the Baptist, for example. But those who Luke identifies as being filled with the Spirit are also identified as being righteous, devout, or somehow committed to God in his mission. We do not have record of someone who is, a, who is not a follower of God being filled with the Holy Spirit, okay? So that's, that's a difference between the, the two there. So if you don't have to be baptized in the Holy Spirit to have the Holy Spirit come upon you, and if you don't have to be baptized in the Holy Spirit to be filled with the Spirit, what is the point of being baptized in the Holy Spirit? <laughs> Good question, isn't it? I don't know. Good night. No, I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. When Jesus walked this earth, he lived with a resident power from on high. It was not a power that came for a momentary task. It was a power from which a woman with an issue of blood could draw without Jesus even being aware until it happened. It was a readiness in season and out of season. It was to be clothed with the divine electricity of the Spirit's active presence. A presence that is alive, accessible, and ready to touch anyone who will draw upon it in faith. Jesus' experience shows us that unlike the Old Testament figures upon whom the Holy Spirit came but then left when the task was finished... Those who are sons of God receive an experience in which the Spirit remains upon them. The baptism in the Holy Spirit is not just a singular gift that God gives to enable us for the duration of a short-lived task. The baptism in the Holy Spirit is not just a jolt of boldness that fuels our inspired speech. The baptism in the Holy Spirit is the abiding power of the Holy Spirit that remains actively upon our physical bodies to aid us continually as we engage in the mission of God. Now that sounds exciting, doesn't it? Yeah, you don't want that, man. I'm sorry, I can't sell it any better. <laughs> ah, this sort of thing thrills me. I, uh, you know, I... I was raised in church. I remember being two years old and asking Jesus to come live in my heart and coming out into the kitchen of our house and telling my mom, I just asked Jesus in my heart. And my mom jumping all over the kitchen, yay! You know, the angels are throwing a party in heaven and yay, that was great. I remember that vividly. I also remember when I was about 11 years old and I was at a camp in northern Michigan, a church camp, 
And uh, the way the camp was situated, it was like up on this, uh, the, 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 the stage where the evening services were held, were backed into the corner of the camp. And so you sat on this hill into the corner of the camp, and then the stage was down there, and the rest of the camp was out here. So the preacher's doing his thing. I don't know what he's doing. Listen, I grew up in church. I know all this stuff. I don't need to listen. So I am totally disengaged from what he's talking about. And when he finally gives the altar call, I'm like, sweet, I'm out. I'm ready to go back to my camp. But of course, the way the campsite is set up, I have to walk past the stage to get to my tent, right? So I come down this hill, and this one guy looks at me, and he goes, young man, are you coming for prayer? And I was too prideful to say no. So I was like, uh, yeah, yeah. So he goes, all right. Well, we're going to believe God for the baptism in the Holy Spirit. I'm like, okay, great. He lays hands on me. Lord, would you baptize me in the Holy Spirit? All of a sudden, I start getting hot. <laughs> 11 years old, and I don't know what's going on. I'm like, all right, this is interesting. And he goes, and he sees I'm starting to just shake a little bit because I'm like, what is happening? He goes, all right, that's the power of God. That's the Holy Spirit, and he's, what he's doing is he's, he's, he's empowering you right now. And God's going to give you this gift of speaking in tongues. Now, I had heard my, my mom speak in tongues. I had heard people in our church speak in tongues. So, so I was like, I understood what that was. I'd just never done it. And he's telling me, I'm like, okay, all right. And he goes, so you just, just start speaking and let, you know, the, as the Holy Spirit gives you the words, just let them come out. And I, all I could do was just go, I'm like, I didn't know what was going on. I, I just had one syllable. Tell you what. I remember at that moment a shift taking place where it suddenly wasn't about me and everything I knew. I realized God had just ambushed me. I wasn't looking for this thing. I didn't want anything. I thought I had everything I needed, and God was like, stop. <laughs> I like you. I want you to have power. <laughs> I share that because I want you to know God wants this even more than you do. Because there is a mission that is so important. <laughs> and I'm telling you as somebody who is empowered by the Holy Spirit, who is actively engaged in this mission on a regular basis, I can't imagine living any other way. I love the bush of Uganda. I love the villages of India. I love the secret underground house churches of China. And the, the, the churches in Europe that I've been to. I haven't been to South America yet. I love the penguins of Antarctica. haven't been there either, but, you know, that's all they really have. <laughs> Just trying to hit every continent. I love the churches of America. And everywhere I go, I'm seeing God move with power. In the last five years, I've personally witnessed roughly 4,000 miracles. And most of those didn't happen through my hands. Most of those happened like this morning where just everybody ministers to each other. And deaf ears are opening and blind eyes are opening. It's just it's crazy. But I can't imagine living any other way. I was in the, the bush of Uganda, my first trip, October 2011. And uh, they, you know, word came to us on like day two or three of me living in the bush. And they said, we have bad news. I said, bad news? What's the bad news? He said, well, we set up this, this event in a village where we want to plant a church. I'm like, okay. He said, we, we've, we've given out 
flyers and we've told all the people of the village to come to the, to the crusade. We're going to, we've built a stage there for you and you're going to preach. I'm like, okay, what's the bad news? He goes, this is an all-Muslim village that's overrun with witch doctors. I'm like, yeah, that's bad news. I wish someone told me this before I came here. He said, that's not the bad news. <laughs> the bad news is that the witch doctors and the Muslim imams, the leaders of the, of the, of the mosques, he said, they're, they're going around and telling all the people not to come to the meeting because this man's going to lie to you. I said, this is great news. He said, no, it's not great news. I said, yes, it's great news. It means we got the devil on his toes. He's scared of us. He goes, I like the way you think, right? I said, we're going to do this thing, and we're going to see God come through, and it's going to be awesome. All right. Now, there is so much detail to this story. I could tell you this story all night because there are so many pieces to this. This was such a turning point in my life. I shared this almost everywhere I go, and uh, it, it was pivotal for me. But I want you to just catch certain details here. I'll, I'll, I'll just be specific on the things that are important. We ride for 45, we're already in the bush. We ride for 45 minutes deeper into the bush on motorcycle through, through swampland and, and grassland. And it's just, we make it out to this village. They've got this little makeshift stage that's maybe, I don't know, five by five. And it's, it's really just a bunch of poles and a, like a bunch of just plywood laid on top of each other every which direction and a bunch of nails sticking it all together. Coolest place I ever preached. <laughs> And they've got this ladder going up. I mean, it's, it's this, this high up. And they've got this ladder that this, the rungs are like this far apart. So you got to like, all right, we're getting up there. This is going to be great. I get up on this thing and I open up my Bible to Luke chapter 6. Blessed are the poor. There's, there's 200, 250 people out in this field. Blessed are the poor for they will inherit the kingdom of God. Now, as I'm saying this, there is this line of like 20 grumpy-looking guys off to my right. And inside, I am expecting at some point rocks will fly from this direction. <laughs> there are stones at their feet. <laughs> this is not unthinkable. As the singers were up there, everybody's singing and dancing, and these guys are not participating in anything. So for all I, I don't, I don't know what's going on, who these guys are. Now, the pastor, before I started preaching, he goes, the witch doctors and the imams are here. I'm like, great, this is wonderful. And he's pointing them out to me, right? Now, what do you do in that moment? See, I'm, I'm, I'm saved. I've got the Spirit of God living within me. I've been saved since I was two, you know? I'm baptized in the Holy Spirit. I've had that since I was 11. I've got power. But in this moment, I didn't have boldness. I needed to be filled with the Holy Spirit. So I'm reading Luke 6, and, and, and blessed are the poor, for they will inherit the kingdom of heaven. And I'm, as I'm reading it, I'm like, these are the people. Blessed are you who hunger and thirst, because you'll be filled. These villagers live in mud huts with grass roofs. Roofs, roofs, roofs. I don't know. What do you say in Ohio? <laughs> I, I'm, I'm like, what is, this is crazy. And the last one on the list is, blessed are you who are persecuted, who suffer because of me. And I paused there, and I was like, hmm. All of a sudden, this boldness hit me. It was like, like something stirred up inside of me, and I was filled with the Holy Spirit. 
And I closed my Bible at that moment. I said, you know, the people who persecute Christians are cowards because they fear gods that have no power. If they knew the Christian God and the power he has, they wouldn't touch Christians. And inside, I'm kind of going, where's the rocks, you know? I got visions in my mind of me like digging my way out of some shack in the middle of the night, beaten and bloody and bruised, you know, like, what's going to happen? Nothing's happening yet. I said, in fact, to prove to you that what I say is true, if you are a witch doctor or a Muslim imam, I want you to come up on this stage with me right now. Bring your biggest demon. Bring your Muslim God. I'll prove to you they have no power. Jesus is king. He has all power. And then I waited. Yeah. And the pastor I'm with, he told me later, he goes, I was wondering what you were doing. (laughs) Nobody came. Now, remember, these guys are there, but they didn't come up. I said, you see, they are cowards. Because I like poking bears with sticks. Sleeping bears with sticks, yeah. They know that what I say is true. In fact, to prove to you that what I say is true, if you have eye problems, ear problems, pain in your body, sickness, disease, whatever it is, put your hand wherever the problem is. If you're able, if you can't, just, just expect to receive right now. And in Jesus' name, blind eyes open, deaf ears open, tumors go. I, I just, cripples walk. Whatever came to my mind, I just started saying it. I had never done this from a stage in my life. So inside, I'm like, this sure better work. <laughs> if it doesn't work, I'm toast. I mean, I, earlier I had asked the, a couple guys, what is the name of your village, Buanga? What does that mean? And they talk to each other for a second, and one looks back at me. He goes, we think it means uh, spear makers. I was like, great, these are the spear-making Muslim witch doctors. <laughs> After I administered healing, I said, all right, now test out your conditions. Try to do something you couldn't do. People are moving and bending and twisting all over the field. Finally, uh, I, I said, now, if you just tested it out and you know you are completely healed and you can prove it, I want you to raise your hand. Across this field of about 200 people, 40 hands go up in the air. Inside, I'm like, thank God that worked, <laughs> right? <laughs> I said, this is proof. Many of you were made sick when the witch doctors cursed you. And now you see Jesus has more authority and more power. And then I opened up to Colossians 1 and preached to them about the supremacy of Christ and the deity of Christ and and how he is ruler of all and king of kings and lord of lords and everything that he's purchased on the cross and what he did through his death and resurrection. All messages that the Muslims and the witch doctors didn't like, but that didn't matter. And when I gave the altar call for salvation, 50 people came to the front. And we planted a church in the village of Buanga that is still there to this day. And every year I go back and I teach and preach in that church. The pastor there has been persecuted. He's had things stolen from him. He's been beaten. They've made threats of burning down his house. I don't know if it's happened yet. It's real. You know, I come back with great stories, but it's real over there. What I want you to know is I needed, a, I needed boldness. And the Spirit of God met me right where I was and gave me that boldness. In September this past year, I was in Haiti. And, and we, um, you know, it, 
I, I mentioned earlier how, how I'm preaching and bullets are being shot, like gunshots are going off right outside this tin wall church. People in the church are flinching and ducking because they live there. We were in the slums of Port-au-Prince called City Soleil, which like we, we met one other American at the hotel we were staying at and he said, where's your organization working? We said City Soleil. He goes, oh, our organization won't let us go there. <laughs> yeah, it was intense. While we're, one morning, just in the hotel, we hear gunshots just outside the gate of the hotel. And when we drove out there, there's two young 15-year-old boys laying in the streets, dead, bullet holes through their heads, blood in the streets, motorcycles tipped over next to them, wailing, screaming crowds all around them. The police are holding back the crowds as our car's trying to get through and weave around these bodies. It's real. And we go straight from there to this meeting where I'm supposed to train 100 pastors everything I taught you today about the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And these are guys from multiple denominations, Baptists and Anglicans and Presbyterians, and, and none of them were baptized in the Holy Spirit. I shouldn't say none of them, probably a handful. There's about 100 of them there. And I said to them, you know, in the past... I've said things as I'm preaching like people are dying and going to hell. And I said, I finally understand it today. I've seen the reality of it. But you see the reality of it every day. You see, the mission is too big for us. It's way too big. And we need power if we're going to step in and engage in that mission. <laughs> While I'm there in Haiti, we went out to the island of Lagunave, which is off the coast of Haiti. It's a 45-minute boat ride in this massive boat that's just packed full of people. We're all crammed in there. It's 100 degrees outside the boat, and we are just sweating sitting there in this intense heat. There's one little window in the front and one in the back, and no cross breeze. Crazy. And while we're in there going across the water, I get this crazy thought. I could preach to these people, and where are they going to go? Right? And just as I'm about to do it, I feel like the Holy Spirit said, don't do it. Well, that's interesting. So I waited a moment, and all of a sudden, this guy gets up at the front of the boat, and he starts shouting something. The guy's wearing a nice tie. He's got a book in his hands. And I'm like, I lean over to my translator. Is this guy, is he preaching? Yeah, yeah, he's preaching. So the guy carries on with his whole thing. While he's talking, all of a sudden, there's these three guys off on the right. One's wearing a red shirt, one a blue shirt, one a brown shirt. And hopefully we can use red, blue, and brown to help you understand who's who. Red and blue have been passing a bottle back and forth. And red is getting just irate with this guy. He's shouting stuff at him in, hate, in Creole. I don't know what he's saying. But he's angry. He's got veins popping out of veins. The guy's wearing a muscle shirt, and he should be wearing a muscle shirt. I mean, the guy's just ripped. And I'm like, at some moment here, somebody's getting just pulverized, you know? And this preacher up at the front, big smile on his face, he just keeps going. He doesn't stop. And he gets these people in the crowd to start chanting something at the three guys. I lean over, and I go, what are they saying? Oh, they're saying, the Lord called down fire and destroy you. Like, what? That's not good news. 
this is not right. Something's wrong here. The, the, the guy in the, I don't, I don't even remember the exact timing of everything, but it was basically, I mean, there, this just keeps escalating. Finally, the, 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 the preacher, the evangelist, he he's, comes over by us, and he's, he pulls out of his briefcase this stack of, of these books, and I discovered this wasn't a gospel presentation, this was a sales pitch. <laughs> and so, instead of doing an altar call, it was, who wants to buy my book? And I'm like, what is this? He sells out of books. When he sells out of books, the big smile is gone. He goes up on, the, on deck, and he's gone. Red and blue are still shouting. Brown's just sitting there laughing at the whole thing. He thinks the whole thing's hilarious. Red and blue are still shouting and angry. Blue's shouting stuff. This other woman gets up, and she starts leading the people in songs. Listen, everybody in Haiti's a Christian. <laughs> there were prostitutes on the boat with us who were singing the Christian songs. Clapping, you know. <laughs> she gets the people chanting something at the guy in the blue shirt. And I ask my translator, he says, they're chanting, shut your mouth, shut your mouth, shut your... The guy in the blue shirt's chanting back at them the same words. Shut your mouth. I'm sitting here, it's getting tense. It's like, like people are getting up and like, you know, shouting and pointing. The guy in the, I mean, blue and red, they've just like fists clenched and lunging at people. I'm sitting here thinking at any moment a riot is going to break out on this boat. There will definitely be injuries. There may be deaths. People are getting trampled. I don't know what's going to happen. And I, I am just like inside all stirred. And all of a sudden I have this thought. I could preach to these people. And where are they going to go? <laughs> so I look at my translator. I really feel like I'm supposed to preach to these people. He goes, uh-uh. <laughs> He goes, these people are already riled up enough. I don't want to just stir things up. Okay. So I'm sitting there. I'm like, what do I do? The guy in the blue shirt, I don't know where red's gone. He might have gone up on deck finding the other guy. But blue is still shouting across the thing. And now he's standing right next to me. And he looks down at one of the people in our team of four and just kind of, I I don't know, somehow he figured out we weren't from there. (laughs) And he, he said something to one of us in English. And I look at the guy, I go, you speak English? He goes, yeah. I go, listen, man, I just want to apologize to you. Why? What did you do? I go, well, actually nothing, but I want to apologize to you on behalf of Jesus for the way these people have treated you. Because this is not the way Jesus would have treated you today. He would not have been calling down fire on you or saying shut your mouth or anything like that. Jesus would be showing love and compassion to you. And this guy's looking at me, sweat pouring off his face, jaw clenched, shakes my hand. Now I have an idea. This guy knows I'm his friend now. So now I can get up and preach. (laughs) So I stand up. Everybody's still shouting. I stand up and I put my arms up like this and somehow they figured out, you know, I mean, Blue got quiet because I'm his friend. Everybody else got quiet because I'm white. (laughs) So I just just waved my hands. Now, I don't normally throw around credentials or anything. I don't do that. But here, since everybody's a Christian and everybody's religious, quote, unquote, you know, I said, listen, I am a missionary from America and a pastor. 
And everybody gets real quiet. He said, I have something I need to say to you. I want to publicly apologize to these men for the way that you have treated them. There was one time when Jesus had an opportunity to call down fire and destroy a village who didn't receive them. James and John had asked if they could do it, and Jesus said, you don't know what spirit you're of. And I say to you, you don't know what spirit you are of. Now, I had a translator. I had first started by saying, uh, is there anyone here who's willing to translate for me? And one of the guys in our group got up and, and, and helped. I said, Jesus would never say to sinners, shut your mouth. The only people Jesus said shut your mouth to were the religious people. So I say, shut your mouth. In Jesus' name. <laughs> I put my arm around blue. I said, I want you to know, I know these men practice voodoo. And we do not agree on what the truth is. But I stand with these men. I do not stand with you misrepresenting Jesus. And I believe Jesus would do the same thing I'm doing here. Boldness filled with the Spirit. You see it? You need this. Long story short, I gave an altar call for those who wanted to receive the God of love. Nobody responded. I'm like, all right, whatever. Blue goes up to the front of the boat. He goes back to yelling. I look at my translator. I'm like, what's he saying? He goes, actually, he's over there preaching everything you just preached. <laughs> Jesus is a God of love. Jesus, you know. I'm <laughs> like, this is awesome. The voodoo guy's preaching the truth. I had asked, I actually, one of the things, I forgot to tell you, I had asked my translator who bought one of the guy's books, what's in the book? He goes, oh, this man is explaining everything that will happen in the end times in detail. And there's this list of, of I'm like, boy, I wish somebody explained that to me. He said, there's this list of 150 demons by name so that they can do good spiritual warfare in Haiti. I'm like, I'm pretty sure there's only one name you need to know. <laughs> His name's Jesus. So when I got up to preach, one of the things I said was, if you bought one of these books, use it as a fan. <laughs> but don't read it, it's full of lies. <laughs> yeah, I'm telling you, man. You start confronting stuff, and it just stirs up all kinds of mess. Well, long story short, the, uh, you know, after a while, I'm just sitting there resting. and I don't know where Brown was in the whole scenario, but Brown and Blue come up to me. And Brown goes, hey, my friend told me what you did for him. I want to say thank you, and he shakes my hand. And I was like, no problem, man. Listen, this is just who Jesus is and who he would want to, of himself conveyed in this place, right? The guy goes, yeah, listen, you're right. We practice voodoo, and we, these people, they don't know their Bible. We know the Bible better than they do. I read the Bible every day. I love the Bible. Now, I'm like, that threw me for a loop. I wasn't expecting that. So I said, really, you love the Bible. What do you love in the Bible? He goes, oh, the apocalypse. It's my favorite. That's Revelation, right? I love the apocalypse. Of course he does. Right? <laughs> the, the one book no one can understand. <laughs> That's his favorite one, Sure. I go, oh, you love the apocalypse. Inside my brain, I've got the little file drawer open, like apocalypse, apocalypse, where is it, you know? I go, you know what the apocalypse says? The guy goes, what's that? The apocalypse says that sorcerers will be thrown in the lake of fire. Do you know what that is? That's voodoo. 
<laughs> the guy smiles and he goes, listen, man, you're not going to change my mind. You see, see, I am, I am of Haiti, and Haiti is voodoo, so I am voodoo. Voodoo tells me who I am. Jesus can't tell me who I am. Only my people tell me who I am. And my people are voodoo, and I am voodoo. Now, I was shocked at that answer. Because as you heard this morning, everything I teach is Jesus tells you who you are. So I didn't even know where to go from that. I'm just, Holy Spirit, I need something. He put the words in my mouth. I said, let me ask you a question. Who is your God, Jesus or Haiti? The guy smiled real big. He goes, I don't want to answer that. I go, no, 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 no. You can't dodge that question, man. You got to pick. It's Jesus or Haiti. Which one is it? I don't want to answer that. Listen, whichever one you pick, you share the same fate. Haiti, everything in this world will be destroyed. Everything in the kingdom of darkness is thrown in the lake of fire. If Haiti's your God, you're in trouble. If Jesus is your God, you're safe. And he goes, listen, you're not going to change my mind. I just want to thank you for what you did for my friend and us. And just have a great time in Haiti. Shakes my hand, goes back to his seat. I didn't get to lead anybody to Jesus on that boat, but the truth was proclaimed. We went out onto that island. Long story short, there's this church. The pastor who I'm with starts shaking his head. I'm like, what's wrong? He goes, these people don't know the Bible. Everything they've said about the Bible isn't, isn't even true. And the song they're singing right now is a voodoo song, not a Christian song. And this is the church we were invited to to minister and teach the people how to minister healing. I was like, looks like we're going to square one. <laughs> Preach the gospel. The whole church gets saved. All of them get baptized in the Holy Spirit. A bunch of people get healed. <laughs> and come to find out that day when I preached my strongest message against voodoo, the head high priest of Haiti, of Haiti's voodoo, died. <laughs> Crazy. Didn't even find out till we got back to America and this headline comes through that this had happened the same day I was preaching that message. Crazy. I'm not saying there's a connection. Maybe there is, maybe there isn't, but I do know this. My high priest, my high priest came back to life. <laughs> you need boldness, folks. You need boldness. I could tell you story after story. And here's where I'll finish with this. While I was in India, just after Haiti, we were there for 21 days. I had another similar scenario where I needed boldness. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me and he said, you know, when you study the scripture, what you find is that God filled people with the Spirit in response to one of two things. Either a prayer-filled encounter with God or crisis. And I realized that up until that point, the times when I had been filled with the Spirit were all crisis moments. Moments where if he didn't fill me and give me boldness, there's no way I'd be able to step up to the plate and do what he wanted me to do in this moment. And the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart and he said, you don't have to wait for crisis to be filled. In Acts 4, the disciples prayed, 
Lord, stretch out your hand to perform mighty miracles in the name of your holy servant Jesus. They prayed that God would consider the threats of those who, who were out after them. Herod and the, the leaders, the authorities and such. And the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God boldly. Acts 4, I think it's verse 31. So what I've started to do is every day pray to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Even though he lives in me, even though he's upon me, I seek a fresh filling. Now, why did I spend so much time talking about being filled with the Spirit? It's simply this. In a church like this, I'm sure we've got people on all parts of this spectrum. People who maybe you've never responded to the gospel and you don't know who Jesus is or what he's done for you. You don't have the Spirit of God living inside of you and you need to make that transition tonight because that's the most important thing. That's the only place where salvation's found. It's what Jesus did on the cross to set you free from sin and make you a new creation and alive. Some of you, the Spirit of God lives in you, but you're not experiencing him upon you. And so you're saved for your sake, but you don't have power for the sake of the mission. You need that power because this mission's too big, and we can't do it on our own. And some of you, you have the Spirit of God living in you. He's also upon you with power. But you need a fresh filling today. You need that boldness in your life. And you need a fresh encounter with God right here in this place. And I'm believing that's going to happen. As we invite the Holy Spirit to come, not from somewhere else, but to pour out of us in this place. 